Okay, before I begin again, thank you so much, Reverend Tony, for extending the invitation to me and affording me this very blessed opportunity to meet you all. I want you to know that for me, it is an honor and a privilege to be here. I begin with a prayer that we as Muslims believe that Moses, peace be upon him, recited when he was sent to preach to Pharaoh about the oneness of God. It goes like this. My Lord, relax for me my chest. Make my task easy for me. Untie any knots from my tongue so that we may deeply understand. The reality today is one where Islam, my choice of faith, is not just another religion, but hating it or defending it might determine where your political allegiances are. People feel very passionately about a faith that they often know very little about. And perhaps this is because while Islam is the world's second largest religion after Christianity, representing 1.6 billion people worldwide, it is also one of the smallest religions in America. Just 1% of Americans identify as Muslim, around 3.3 million. Various studies show that over 60% of Americans have actually never met a Muslim in their everyday life. I think this is where some of the difficulties begin to emerge. When we caricaturize a faith into a series of stereotypes and news clips, it becomes very inhuman and often very foreign. So before I talk about anything else, I'll give you a brief rundown on Islam. It's a religion and a way of life, not a political movement. Muslims worldwide, regardless of sect, believe in six things. One, that God is one alone with no partners, parents, children, or associates. Two, that there are angels who obey his commands. Three, that he revealed books, including the Psalms, the Torah, the Gospel, and the Quran. And that four, for every people in civilization, God sent a prophet to teach them how to live. Five, that we will all be resurrected after we die and face judgment when our deeds will be weighed and God will punish or reward us according to heaven or hell. And six, that God's will reigns supreme over that of mankind. We have free will to choose to do good or to do evil, but some things are only in God's control. How we practice our faith is primarily through the five pillars of Islam. First, we take the shahada, which means to testify or announce that there is no God worthy of worship except for God himself, and that Muhammad, peace be upon him, is God's messenger and servant. The second of these pillars is obligatory prayer, five times a day, 365 days a year. The third is to fast from food, drink, intimacy, and bad language from sunrise to sunset for 30 days during the holy month of Ramadan each year. The fourth is to pay 2.5% of our wealth after expense each year in charity to those who are hungry and in need. And the last is to perform pilgrimage to Mecca once in a lifetime if one is physically able and can afford to do so financially. Each of these actions is designed to develop in us a noble and admirable personality and character. Our moral values include sincerity, honesty, trustworthiness, the keeping of promises and commitments, generosity, hospitality, brotherhood, humanity, tolerance, seeking knowledge, cleanliness, moderation, and modesty, among many others. Prayer five times a day is designed to help us keep always in remembrance of God and to keep in perspective how small we are compared with him and to keep us away from sin. 
Mandatory charity is designed to purify our wealth, make us generous and charitable, and to encourage self-sacrifice. Fasting also accomplishes this by forcing us to feel the physical pangs of hunger and thirst that those less fortunate than us experience as a regular course of their daily lives. The golden rule of Islam can be found in the narration in which the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, None of you truly believes until he loves for the other what he loves for himself. Contrary to what many people believe, good moral character and behavior are the goal of every Muslim. The treatment of others is something that weighs very heavily in our faith. Other narrations of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, include such statements as, if you believe in God and the last day, then be generous to your guest. And let the one who believes speak good or keep silent. The Quran perhaps summarizes it best in the chapter of the cow, verse 177. It reads, Righteousness is not that you turn your head in prayer towards the east or towards the west, but righteousness is that you believe in God and the last day, the angels and the book and the prophets, and that you give your money, in spite of your love for it, to your relatives, to the orphan, and to the poor, to the traveler, and to those who ask you for help and that you give your money to the freeing of captives, and that you establish regular prayer, give in obligatory charity, and honor your promises, contracts, and commitments, and that you remain patient, perseverant, and steadfast at times of poverty and hardship. Such people are those who are true to their faith, and such people are the God-conscious. What's interesting about this verse is that it combines all three aspects of our faith, the beliefs we must cherish, the obligatory actions we are prescribed to take, and those personality traits which will correspondingly be developed. The public tends to look at Muslim people as a single monolithic entity, and this is simply just not the case. No two Muslim people are the same, either in terms of their ethnicity, the language they speak, the culture they ascribe to, their ideology, or their level of engagement or practice with their faith. We come from every country on the globe, and we include every race. We speak every language, but what unites us is the bond of belief and the bond of humanity. The prophet, peace be upon him, said, the metaphor of the believers is their, in their affection, mercy, and compassion for each other is like the whole human body. When any limb aches, the whole body reacts with sleeplessness and fever. The idea here is that compassion, mercy, and love for others crosses the lines of nationality and country. And so it is that living here in America, I feel deeply the pain of my brothers and sisters in Syria whose daily lives are ravaged by war, and the pain of my peers in Somalia who die as we speak from famine and drought. And it is my heart that breaks for the people of Burma who are victims of religious genocide. The borders of their countries have been all but erased by the bonds of brotherhood and humanity. In the Hajj, the Muslim pilgrimage, the well-known figure Malcolm X has written about his experience which transformed his thinking from one that did not allow for racial harmony to believing that it could be possible. He writes a letter to describe his transformation from Mecca to Harlem. I will read some excerpts from that letter. Never have I witnessed such sincere hospitality and overwhelming spirit of true brotherhood as it is practiced by people of all colors and races here in this ancient holy land.
the home of Abraham, the home of Muhammad, and all the other prophets of the Holy Scriptures. For the past week, I have been utterly speechless and spellbound by the graciousness I see displayed around me by people of all colors. There were tens of thousands of pilgrims from all over the world. They were all colors, from blue-eyed blondes to black-skinned Africans. But we were all participating in the same rituals, displaying a spirit of unity and brotherhood that my experiences in America had led me to believe could never exist between white and non-white. America needs to understand Islam because this is the religion that erases from society the racial, racial problem. Throughout my travels in the Muslim world, I have met, talked to, and eaten with people who in America would have been considered white, but the attitude was removed from their minds by this religion. I never before have seen sincere and true brotherhood practiced by all colors together, irrespective of their color. You may be shocked by these words coming from me, but on this pilgrimage, what I have seen and experienced has forced me to rearrange much of my thought patterns previously held and to toss aside my previous conclusions. This was not too difficult for me. I have always kept an open mind which is necessary to the flexibility that must go hand in hand with every form of intelligent search for truth. I could see from this that perhaps if white Americans could accept the oneness of God, then perhaps too they could accept in reality the oneness of man and cease to measure, hinder, and harm others in terms of their differences of color. Now, I can almost hear the thoughts of you, some of you, perhaps wondering why, if Islam is this delightful faith, why is it that the Middle East is plagued with war? Why is there a rise in terrorism in recent years? why it would seem that Muslims have a problem with those who do not follow their faith. Let me first then address the idea that Muslims desire to make Islam dominate the earth and do not respect other faiths. Islam has from its earliest days protected freedom of religion for all human beings. God says in the Quran in the chapter of the cow, verse 256, let there be no compulsion in religion. The right course is clear from the wrong. Whoever, believes in false de whoever disbelieves in false deities and believes in God has grasped the most trustworthy handhold with no break, and God is all-hearing and all-knowing. In addition, he says in the chapter of the cave, So whoever wills, let him believe, and whosoever wills, let him disbelieve. And in the chapter of the disbelievers, he says, To you, your religion, and to me, my religion. And to further demonstrate this fact, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said about non-Muslim minorities living in the Muslim world, Beware, whoever is cruel or unjust to a non-Muslim minority curtails their rights, burdens them with more than they can bear, or takes any from, anything from them against their free will, I, Prophet Muhammad, will complain against such person on the day of judgment. And the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was known for his good treatment of those who followed other faiths. He sat amongst his companions one day as a funeral procession passed by. The peace, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, stood up as a sign of respect for the funeral procession. The companions said to him, O oh, Prophet, but that was the procession of a Jew. He replied, Was he not a human being? There are many other incidents like this from the life of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, which reflect Islam's teachings of freedom of religion and religious tolerance. Another very well-known story is about the Jewish neighbor of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. As he would leave his home every day, his neighbor would curse him, throw trash and refuse upon him, and made a daily habit of this insult. 
One day, the Prophet Muhammad came out of his home and noticed that his elderly Jewish neighbor was not there. There were no curses and there was no trash being thrown. He became so concerned that he knocked on her door. She opened and answered and he said, I was worried about you. I didn't see you outside. She then proceeded to tell him that she had been ill and that is why she was not outside to curse him that day. She was so touched by his generosity and his love that she eventually converted to Islam. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, taught his companions that all human beings deserve the same dignity and the same fair treatment regardless of their religion. In a letter to the Christians living in Arabia in a city called Najran, the first caliph to follow Prophet Muhammad after his passing, Abu Bakr, wrote the following letter. In the name of God, the beneficent, the merciful. This is the written statement of God's servant Abu Bakr, the successor of Muhammad, the prophet and messenger of God. He affirms for you the rights of a protected neighbor in yourselves, in your lives, your lands, your religious community, your wealth, your servants, and those of you who are present or abroad, your bishops and monks and monasteries, and all that you own, be it great or small. You shall not be deprived of any of it, and you shall always have full control over it. These statements show that the attitude of Islam regarding its neighboring countries was always to be at peace, not in a state of aggression. And Islam is a religion that also teaches forgiveness and tolerance of others, the same as your faith and those of others. The Prophet, peace be upon him, is reported to have said, Show compassion to those on earth, and the one in the heavens will show compassion to you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven by God. He also said, Whoever suffers a pain or injury and forgives who is responsible, God will raise his status to a high degree and remove his sins. When God revealed to Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, in chapter 7, verse 199 of the Quran, the following words, Show forgiveness, enjoin others to good, and turn away from the ignorant. He asked Angel Gabriel, Clarify what this means. Angel Gabriel replied, It is the command of God to forgive those who wronged you, to give to those who have deprived you, and to mend relations with those who have cut off relations with you. And there are many other such sayings and verses of the Quran. There is an even more touching story about the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, in the early days of prophethood in Mecca. He was rejected by and large by his people, and his faith was rejected by the pagans who worshipped many gods. So he traveled to a neighboring city called Taif, which is uh, between Mecca and the valley. It's sort of in the valley between two large mountains. There he was treated rudely and disrespectfully for preaching oneness of God, and the leaders of Taif ordered the children and young people of the city to go out and stone him as he left the city. He was stoned for such a long time that he was severely injured and could not make it back to Mecca. He sat under a tree crying and praying to God for his mercy, bleeding from his head, his legs, his arms, severely injured. God sent him the angel of the mountain and asked him, O prophet of God, you tell me, give me the word, and we will destroy the people of Taif between, we will crush them between the mountains. What do you say? And he said, I forgive these people and I pray for them so that in the future, from among their generation, will come people who believe and do righteousness. So these are examples from the story of the prophet, peace be upon him. And the idea of vengeance and violence against those who have offended us is simply not an Islamic ideal at all. And still we wonder, if what is happening today is contrary to Islamic teachings, 
then why are they happening? And despite what Muslims claim to believe, there are extremist groups. A point in fact is that groups like ISIS represent a microscopic portion of the Muslim world. Out of 1.6 billion Muslims on the planet, only 20 to 30,000 pe 30, people belong to ISIS. This represents 0.00019% of all Muslims. Is it fair then to blame an entire faith and people for the actions of these few deranged and deviant individuals? Yes, it is true that these people claim to act according to Islam, but is it any surprise that they have hijacked religion to lend credibility to their barbaric cause? I'm not an expert in geopolitics, but as someone who has specialized in theology, I can tell you that the religion of Islam does not in any way support their actions. And I can surmise that there are likely other overwhelming factors behind the rise of extremism and terrorism. Perhaps sustained psychological trauma for the last few decades in this region has resulted in a type of vulnerability to deviant ideology. Perhaps political upheaval and a vacuum of power after continued wars in the region has given rise to these groups. There are a number of possible factors that have contributed to this. But what I would ask you to challenge in your hearts is whether it is the case that these real and intense challenges warrant our panic, fear, and our scapegoating of 1.6 billion people. Whether these human beings deserve to be ostracized, discriminated against, and hated or whether the solution is really, perhaps in loving God, loving fellow man, and building bridges of understanding. I have devoted the last few years of my life cultivating relationships in the Jewish and Christian community, and I've spent countless hours working on interfaith engagements with whomever is willing. And this has been a time when doing as such has made things a bit better. Because the narrative of the extremists is that America will never accept you as Muslims. You can never be loved by those who don't share your faith, and you will never belong. Therefore, make war with them. The recruiter in the corner of a dark chat room will use this narrative, will use this story to manipulate, to brainwash and hypnotize, convincing young, innocent, vulnerable minds into believing this errant and deviant ideology. Our best weapon, then, against these people is not surprisingly love. Loving of our neighbor and of the stranger. Letting each person resolve to make friends with someone of a different culture or a different faith. Let us build together a feeling of togetherness and unity that will shatter the strategies of those who would like to harm us and divide us. And so with this, I call upon people of all faiths and beliefs to hold hands together to build a world that is kind and just for all people a world where each person feels free to practice his or her choice of faith, where people may choose their own lifestyle and be okay with it being different from that of their neighbor. I will be here after services to answer your questions and to build relationships with you. Thank you.